Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago. Hey, good morning. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap, and it's June 13th, 2020. Hey, Jay, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well. Good morning, everybody. Yeah. Hey, this is a big week for me, dude. I become officially a senior citizen in the middle of the week, so how about that? You know. Are you a June baby too? I am. I am. Yeah. My ba- well, my birthday was Wednesday. When is yours? Was it really? Mine was Tuesday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yours was Tuesday. Yeah, coming up next Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, next Tuesday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, happy well, birthday when it comes. So was that the eleventh, tenth, something the like 10th, that? The tenth. Yeah. 10th. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome, man. Happy birthday. Yeah. Thank I didn't you. Know that I'm a jerk for not knowing that. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, well, how, how old are you? Fifty three, fifty two. I'm not telling my age. I'm in my fifties. <laughs> You like a girl? I'm not telling my age. <laughs> I, I can get away. Go- you know, I can get away with a lot of things. You can you know? get away I'm, with murder, man. I'm not tied up in this masculinity bull crap. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Call me a girl. I don't care. Oh my god, that's hilarious. no. I was, I was, I was. I'll tell my my our listeners. I was no. I turned fifty five. Fifty five. So yeah, I'm ten years older than you. I'll be sixty. Yeah. I become a senior citizen. I'm, I'm thinking braces wow. on my legs and stuff. Yeah, it's hilarious. So, uh, yeah, man. Um, really interesting week. Uh, how about the Republic of Chaz? I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Republic of what? Chaz. Chaz? Yeah. The uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle. You haven't heard about this? Yeah. Well, you mean with the defunding and everything? No, no. No, it's the uh, the Antifa guys up in uh, Seattle took over a portion of Seattle, and they threw the cops out. They took over a police precinct. Over oh, the community community policing. Yeah. Look, yeah. this is just a, this is not going to last. It of can't course last. Not. It's not sustainable. Of it's course, just, it's not uh, sustainable. It's not in a in a in a vast complex, uh, interlocking country like this. We, you know, I mean, look, Antifa is just a, uh, it's a it's a fringe movement, and uh, it's no more. It has no more traction in this country no, than no, it's pure any, anarchy. Any, yeah. Any any other fringe movement, yeah. the anarcho capitalists. Yeah. Um, I, that's just going to be a very, very short-lived sort of incursion into our into a zone where law enforcement has a proper role to play. I find them to be somewhat comical, and to me, they are the ultimate comic expression of the far left, you know, uh, progressive sect. So I, I find it to be more comical than anything else. What I also find comical about it is there are guys walking around policing the six square blocks. With automatic weapons, yeah. So, so someone who's uh, out to defund the police departments because of their egregious use of force are now basically strong arming shop owners and things for food with automatic weapons. So I, I find the hypocrisy there to be undeniable. So shout out to the Antifa guys and the uh, the super left progressives that are supporting them. I think that's uh, hilarious. But I, I I would expect I would have thought you would have followed it more. I'm just following as a comic routine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I read about it briefly, but my 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 attention is really not on. It's not on that movement any more than it is on you know um, armed militia on the far right who yeah. are also, in some sense, French movements, um, extreme no, extreme equally, far right. Equally. You know, these these also, are these are the the balancing wing nuts of our society today. Of our society, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you've got groups like those in the in the in the in Indiana and in the South also. Mm-hmm. Uh, preparing for an upcoming civil war after the November elections, and um, 
Yeah, I did. I did read it, read it briefly in the news, but I just thought it was something I wasn't going to spend too much, too much attention on it. Really, I, I just found it comical. Actually, yeah. you know, I did, yeah, that, that's was my only thing. I didn't put a lot of time into it. Um, you know, at the end of our show last week, you were talking about um, the whole kind of idea of that defunding police departments didn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And since we our show last week in Minneapolis has voted to defund their police department, I would just love to hear your take on that. Well, look, I think in an imperfect world, mm-hmm. proper definitions have to be made, right? Yeah. And and people just don't understand what defunding the police really means. Okay. I mean, if we're talking about dismantling the police force, that mm-hmm. is a ludicrous, ridiculous idea. If we're talking about the fact that police officers don't need these SUVs and these armored well, we vehicles, talk, we talked and about police officers issue. don't need military gear, mm-hmm. military gear, yeah, I mean, real proper military gear, every single six months or every single year like the military do Mm -hmm. and to be driving around in these armored suvs that are changed out every year that that kind of defunding is actually necessary yeah so i think defunding gets banded around um like you know like like a non-concept and people don't really understand what it means and the people who actually use that term are very reckless and irresponsible and not and not stating exactly what they mean and when people hear that word defund Mm -hmm. they properly are triggered because i mean when i hear it i'm triggered because i I think Mm -hmm. law enforcement uh we need law enforcement in a civilized society yeah however we don't need you know an artificial uh chasm or chasm between the civilian population and the police Mm -hmm. which is what happens when you have too much contact between the police and the people and an overly militarized police force in yeah. our society. Yeah. So if defunding is going to mean that, look, we put these cops back in a normal, you know, Cadillac or a Ford vehicle, like we <laughs> see them in the 1970s, right? Driving on the street. I don't know if they had Cadillacs, but yeah. <laughs> but they didn't have Cadillacs. Well, we could put them in Cadillacs if we want to upgrade them a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. but they don't need to be driving on these unarmed, you know, militarized, SUVs that those cars cost a lot of money they don't need to be dressed in and then they, they don't need to be also these ammunition that they're 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 they're, they're I mean who are they fighting Islamic terrorists well you know Jay that's where all this started this was all post 9-11 stuff is when the police department came. yeah but you go into any single rural yeah. community I go into lots of rural communities and just because just because they can have access to mm-hmm. you know one of these expensive SUVs mm-hmm. uh and, and these armored uh, ammunition in any single peaceful, rural, small-town America, mm-hmm. you will see these cops with this, this kind of stuff. That kind of defunding is probably necessary. They don't need that. Yeah. And it presents a very, very intimidating presence between the police and those communities with whom they should be building alliances. You know, so I think it has to be, it has to, and this is the job of, of, of intelligent people to mm-hmm. sort of like say, what do you mean by defunding the police? Let's break it down. You know, if you're talking about dismantling the police force, you're not going to find a bigger enemy of that movement than in myself. Yeah. If you're talking about, in some sense, um, taking away unnecessary funding in certain segments of the police force where it's completely excessive, yeah. Um, then I think that's that's proper, and I'd rather see that money go into training, into paying police officers uh, more money, 
Yeah. Like increasing their salaries because they are overworked. and They are vastly underpaid. Yeah, grossly underpaid. They're yeah. grossly underpaid. I, I think what happened, what I saw was the there was actually a vote to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. Yes. And of course, what's going to happen is the county and the state police will fill that void. Um, it, to me, it struck me as a, a bit of a, a political move on the Minneapolis City Council. But um, it's interesting when you talk about the the police department. That I don't think there's a doubt, Jay, that, that there needs to be a an invest not an investigation, a, a transformation of what it means to police our communities and what we need as a community to be mm-hmm. policed. You know, I, I think after you know after nine eleven, that's what you know when there was the Islamic terror threats that you know that everyone was concerned about. That's when a lot of this militaristic you know, policing began. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, our, our concern that we, every city was going to be impacted every week by Islamic terrorists hasn't quite worked out that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think, yeah, I think that's really the conversation to have. Uh, you know, the other thing, we're going to have to take a break in a couple of minutes, but it, it's really, it's really interesting. I, I want to see your, I, I'd love to hear your take when we come back from break what you see has risen out of all of the the post covid thing or the covid the continuation of covid the the black lives matter event based on the, the what happened to george floyd and just all the different you know kind of for lack of a better word social unrest but it, it's not unrest per se but just a disturbance you know like like there's this boiling that's going on, and I think what happens there's there's stuffs risen to the top that we can kind of sort out, and and view, and look at, and see what the opportunity is, and what clear thinking people where they can go, you know there's, uh, uh, you know the conversation we had beforehand, you know the, the the things with removing symbols of the Confederacy and and what does history play, you know what part does history play in that, what we can learn from that. That's really what I. I'd like to talk about when we get back. Does that make sense for you? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. How's life in Elgin right now? Good. Still good? Yeah. Quiet. Yeah. I love it. I was in the city a couple of days ago, oh, and we're... I couldn't wait to get back. <laughs> You're becoming a suburban guy, dude. And I'm a city slicker. I love the city. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm, one, I'm one of those urban creatures who am unable to live outside of a city. And yeah. It was just people are just tense and yeah. ugh, mean, not mean, just tense. Yeah, and I, I think everyone's tense in the city. Anyway, we're going to take a break, everyone. This is Mike and Jay. This is Into the Gap. So, Jay, um, yeah, man, what's your take on everything that's gone on the last four months? But really, you know, what, what's shown up for you um, as it relates to with all this boiling up of all these different things that have happened? Well, I think COVID-19 was a catalyst that just unleashed a lot of uh, discontents that people have been forced to live with. And the, you know, we all, we all going back to Jung and uh, the personae and the, and the person, many of us live with multiple personae. Some of us live with one major persona, Mm -hmm. but we, we, we carry mass into the outside world and, and that we and roles that we have to fulfill, and mm-hmm. I think that COVID nineteen was just the boiling point where we had to play so many roles and wear so many masks, yeah. and being forced to sit with ourselves at home for such a long time, yeah. and take off many of those masks. Right? I really think this is a psych- quite a psychological as much as it is a political issue. When you're at home alone and you are forced to take off some of the 
the, the persona and mm -hmm. the mask and mm -hmm. the facades that you're used to wearing in the outside world. And you come face to face with yourself and then you're forced to go back into the world and don them on. There's yeah. a different relationship to the self that you have. And I think that people that coincided with the killing of George Floyd by yeah. Derek Chauvin. And uh, I think that it just unleashed a yeah. kind of primordial, um, I don't want to call it anarchical because that's going to give a pejorative term to it. And I don't think all of the impulses are necessarily anarchical in people, but it really did unleash something primordial where people, mm -hmm. I think, are striving for something uh, primal, vitalistic, authentic, um, ex and a kind of expression, mm -hmm. a way of life. Mm -hmm. And and I go back to this, this sense of discontents that people have had to live with. Yeah. Um, and it, it's in many, 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 it takes a form of, in many ways, you know, when when people are struggling to meet their payrolls and mm -hmm. to meet their rents, and they know that all this bailout money is going to corporations and they are, and there's, and there's non-transparency, yeah. right? We don't know how the corporations are going to spend their money, but people are also being rehired and some people are being laid off yep. and people are, people are suffering. People are suffering in this country. And I think that the suffering has been invisible. And people have borne, like most Americans, mm -hmm. people have borne their suffering with dignity and in silence. I mean, mm -hmm. we do have a cult of victimology mm -hmm. that's running amok in this country. But I think most average Americans bear their suffering silently and with a can-do spirit of just going on. Mm -hmm. And and people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Yeah, Jay, you know, you, you say it so much more eloquently than I do. I, what, what I see this whole thing is, is as a test. And not as a test of like pass-fail, but like as a, a test when you test something in engineering yeah. and you apply stress to it, you, see, you, you can see the breaking points. You can see the, the weaknesses in the, in the product or the material. And I think that's what this has done. This has is, this is pushed everyone you know, as you reflected, people, people have to do an accounting of themselves. Mm -hmm. People, this has required everyone to get into some version of self-reflection and self-discovery and really understand who they are and what values they have. Mm -hmm. And then it's also pressed every system and every institution we've had. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the ones that work. We've seen the ones that don't work. You know, most yeah. of the ones that don't work, we're pretty critical of. And... You know, like I've been critical of Lori Lightfoot, but, the, you know, I've also witnessed some mayors in some smaller cities in Chicago just operate like at astounding levels, mm -hmm. you know, and keep things together that could have really blown apart. And so, you know, I think overall what this is just doing is looking at and allows us to, to pull back the veil like you had talked about the persona, right? It's kind of pulled it back to where we can actually see what's working and what's not working. And yeah. the biggest thing, the biggest thing that, that I've realized is, and again, I fall in this trap all the time, and it's probably because I'm a white guy, but I didn't realize there was much as much racial tension in the world as there is. Yes. You know? <clears throat> right. I I didn't realize that that uh, uh, black people lived in a state of fear as much as they did and that white people were as naive to it or ignorant to it as they are, you know? Right. Well, you know, 
I mean, I've written a book and in that book, I have, I won't say I'm guilty of, but Mm -hmm. I have sought to see the best within America. Yeah. And, and I have said in that book that race is endemic to America, Mm -hmm. but race is a race, but racism is a betrayal of the, the true spirit of America. Which is not to deny, and, and I know you wanted to talk about systemic racism mm-hmm. in America and the, the, the extent to which people banded this term mm-hmm. of systemic racism and whether America and the police force are systemic, systemically mm-hmm. racist. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess when we talk about systemic, when we talk about something being systemic, we were talking about the extent to which um, something is done according to a system or method, mm-hmm. right? That, that affects the whole organization, not just a particular part of it. Yes. It's something that suffuses mm-hmm. the entire organization by a kind of method, mm-hmm. a systematicity to it. And so there's no denying, I think, that America is racist in cert- to a certain degree institutionally. And uh, but the, the question is to what degree? And to and 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 the, and the other question is. Is it in ascendancy? And I was thinking about this. I was going back to a book that I wrote 20 years ago called Becoming a Cosmopolitan. And I, 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 I said it in that book, and I said in my most recent book, that we mm-hmm. don't operate according to a theory of propagating the superiority of the white race anymore. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, the litmus test is this. <laughs> Once a white woman can give birth to both a black child and a white child, but a black woman can never give birth mm. to a white child, only to a black child, mm. Mm. because of because of the pernicious one drop rule we have in this country, which characterizes as black anyone with a drop of African ancestry. It means that there is some part of systemic racism permeating this country. So think about it: a white woman can give birth to a white child mm-hmm. and a black child, mm-hmm. but according to the racial taxonomies of this country that codify into Mm-hmm. racial groups mm-hmm. no black woman no matter how light-skinned she is mm-hmm. no black woman can ever give birth to a white child yeah. there's something intrinsically racist about that classification yeah. yeah so there is no denying and i think there's no denying the systematicity of race and it's and it's suffusion of family life of institutions in this country the question is Again, I go back to something I've always believed since I've come to America is that, you know, we're always trying to improve ourselves yeah. and we're all trying to, to make things better and correct our mistakes and our flaws. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, for a great number of people, Black people in this country who have been victims of police brutality mm-hmm. and, and we're seeing now, I read this week um, in multiple media sources, uh, the extent to which there have been so many cover-ups in the police forces and various police forces in this country. I mean, Derek Chauvin, the guy who killed George Floyd had 17 infractions against him. Yeah. And these were all covered up. It's like the Catholic priesthood. Yeah. I'm sorry to say. No, no. Right. It's just Um, like it. Is is there systemic abuse in the Catholic church against young boys? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're finding out that grudgingly, I speak as an ex-Catholic, that the answer is yes. And so where do we want to place the emphasis and where do we want to place the degree? Are things getting worse? Uh, Does it stand in need of correction? Can it be corrected? Um, 
what we're seeing is people who have felt the brunt of this um, yeah. uh, rising up and 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 protesting and 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 quite properly um, registering their their grievances in the world. Yeah, Jay. You know, as an engineer, whenever I hear an issue or a problem, you know, I wanna I wanna figure out where the source of it comes from, right? Like, yeah. and, and when we talk about systemic racism, I'm thinking of it as a structural issue. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's something that's structurally off that's generating mm-hmm. this. It's not like you and I are going to go out and practice racism. It's like, it's cooked into the, in the cake, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at it and I, I, you know, and just through a little bit of work and talking to some people, what I realized at least where I'm at now, the red X that I found is in housing. Yes, the redlining. You know, well, it's not just redlining; it's, um, it's it's just the whole real estate market altogether. It's how we value property, right? Mm-hmm. And and so what happens is, take for instance, you've got on the west side of Chicago on Austin Boulevard, right by the Eisenhower Expressway. On one side of the street, you have Chicago and the Austin district, right? Mm-hmm. You cross over and you've got Oak Park. So mm-hmm. what, what high school do those kids go to on the east side of the street? They go to Marshall High School in the city, mm-hmm. right? What's the graduate graduation rate there? About 30% a year. You cross over and you go to Oak Park River Forest, and about 30% of those kids go to Ivy League schools. And we're talking about a 66-foot difference. Yes. Austin Boulevard, right? And why is that? You know, why is that the line of demarcation? Why are why is a house on the east side of Austin worth one hundred and fifty thousand, and on the west side of Austin worth maybe four hundred and fifty thousand? Mm-hmm. Why is that? You know, and then what's what ha- what's the difference in the schools in Oak Park versus the schools on the west side of Chicago? What's the difference in the police department in Oak Park versus the police department in the west side of Chicago? What's the difference in this in the park districts in Oak Park and the park districts on the west side of Chicago? You know? Financed by property taxes, of course. Yeah. And, yeah. and and what's driving that? It's 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 our relationship and the way we view real estate. And so I, I don't know what the fix is, but I, I think that's a place to begin to look at, you know? And what is fair housing and, and where how do people make housing choices and all of this stuff? And you know, we're going to have to take a break in a little bit, but I, I, I just... Yeah, I want to talk about this when we come back. Yeah. So, As an educator, I really want to talk about this. Yeah, cause, and that's why I wanted to bring it up to you, because I'm sure you've got... I, I just can identify what the issue is. I don't know how to fix it, you know? Anyway, we'll be back in, in two minutes. This is Mike and Jay. This is Into the Gap, and this is WCGO Chicago. Thank you. Jason Hill here, and I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from 1590 AM and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app. Tune in or WCGORadio.com. The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Find it, rate it, and subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates, please reach out to my co-host Mike at Mike Shrek at gmail.com. Dallas Cowboy Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry once said, a coach is someone who has you see what you don't want to see 
and has you hear what you don't want to hear so you can always be the person you knew yourself to be. Hello, I'm Mike Sherrick, founder and president of the Mike Sherrick Group and Mike Sherrick Coaching. We are an executive coaching and leadership development organization with offices in Berwyn, Illinois and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Successful organizations begin with the self-awareness and authenticity of its leaders. And in today's world, we are all leaders. If you or your organization has a big vision, or you know there's another level you can go to, please give us a call at 630-643-6336. If you're one of the first three people who call us today, you will be eligible for a free IMX leadership assessment and debrief, a $550 value free to you and your organization. So give us a call at 630-643-6336 and take it on. Okay, back to the show now. Here's my co-host, Mike Short. Hey, we're back. This is Mike. This is Jason. This is Into the Gap. Yeah, we were talking about the the difference of that Austin Boulevard makes, Jay. Yeah. Well, you know, there's something wrong as Condoleezza Rice has always said, when I can type in your zip code and I can tell the quality of education you're getting. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm not an advocate, as you know, of the welfare state. I'm a, I'm a capitalist. I mm-hmm. believe in limited government. But mm-hmm. if we're going to have public funded education in this country, as yeah. we do, then I think it has to be fair and it has to be uh, equitable. And mm-hmm. um, so it exists. Mm-hmm. And if it exists, it shouldn't really be based on something as unfair as um, as funding it through property taxes, right? That's, that doesn't see, there's some, there seems to be something fundamentally wrong about that. So if we can have a welfare system for rich corporations, mm-hmm. which we've talked about, if you can have subsidies for farmers, if mm-hmm. you can have uh, bailouts for rich corporate corporations where mm-hmm. CEOs get to keep their fat bonuses, uh, I don't see why we can't have other forms of funding public education um, in a more equitable manner. Um, where we decide that, look, these are our young people. And if we don't invest in them, we're going to have, we already have a national security threat on our hands, or we have school vouchers. We have support of charter schools. We have tax credits uh, where we, we allow parents. We don't tax parents on that part of their income that they would invest in their child's education where they to send them to a charter school or a private school or what have you. Or the government just deciding, uh, the local or federal government just deciding, look, we are going to allocate our resources um, and in, and see our young people as installments on the future. We do this in other areas of our lives. We give thousands and, I mean, thousands, billions of dollars in foreign aid mm-hmm. uh, to countries. Uh, we allocate our resources in areas that we really don't really aren't necessarily tied to our national security interest. Yeah. And if we see our young people as investments, then again, someone who in principle is not a, is not a, an upholder of, mm-hmm. because I think when you make a procreative choice in the world to have a child, that child is your personal responsibility. That's your fiscal responsibility, so to speak, to pass that on to society is not fair. However, we do have a system of funded public education. We yeah. do have public education. So if we're going to have it, we should really, really do it properly. You know, and, and public education is actually foundational to kind of the development of America, right? That's right. And That's right. It, it's so funny, Jay, when you bring it up, it, it's like, 
And then I'm thinking about if you were to do what you say and, you know, take away the distinctions of the different school districts, shall we say, you know, yeah. I, I, I would, I could see people in Naperville where I live now, uh, you know, taking out torches and marching to wherever they're going to march in protest because they specifically moved to that suburb in those two school districts specifically for the schools because of the superiority of the schools. And mm-hmm. because, and what that's done because the schools are so good, it's raised the property values. Mm-hmm. And and so it's become this relatively elite suburb. It, it's it's quite diverse, you know, but yeah. it's it's diverse in, um, like ethnic identity, not diverse mm-hmm. so much in mentality, not mm-hmm. diverse so much in thinking. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 div- if you line everyone up, everybody looks different, but the thinking is is pretty homogeneous. Mm-hmm. You know. So there's not a huge diversity of ideas. There's kind of a, this is the way it's going to go. And, and I, I see that happening. I, I remember when I was a freshman in high school in 1969, my freshman year was delayed because of a teacher strike. No. And the teacher strike was, I went to a, when I was there, the high school was a pretty good high school. And I, I think I got a pretty good education in my high school. I had some incredible teachers uh, incredible class members. It was just, it was a pretty cool experience. And it was a big high school. It was three, 3,200 kids, right? So the teachers went on strike and the board of education held the line because they did not want to, um, pay the teachers more than they were paying them. And they wanted to hold the line on property tax. And and I'll never forget, Mr. Pellegrino was the, Pellegrini was the head of the school board and it became militant. I mean, there were, not riots, but there were conflicts between the teachers and the school board. And anyway, the, the strike was settled in a couple, uh, couple of weeks because they, the teachers couldn't not get paid anymore. And they, they settled for less than what they wanted. The result was over the next five or six years, actually the next 10 years, the good teachers left and the average and less than good teachers stayed. And the, the, the wages that those teachers got paid fell below average and the, mm-hmm. and over about a 15 year period this school went from being one of the best to being kind of mediocre to less than and what ended up happening is it impacted the property values of the town yeah now what's happened in the last 10 years they've been building it up there's a guy now there who runs a thing who's just remarkable it's it was recognized as one of the best schools in the country again um and it's it's coming back up but but the very thing you're talking about had this incredible ripple effect across the whole community. And it not only impacted the education of the children going there, it impacted the the property values. It forced, what it really did was forced most of the white families that lived there to send their kids to, to private schools, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and which only degenerated the, the education because it changed the social structure. And it, it, and it didn't. T- it, it took someone to come in and say, "This is we're going to stop. We're going to we're going to rebuild this thing." Mm-hmm. And it was a coalition, a coalition of a lot of great people. And it, but it's right. taken twelve years about to turn the tide. Right. And it, it's really inspiring to see that you can fix an error. But it's also you, you look at when it started forty one years ago, and then it got. It took thirty years to t- to to change the course. So. 
it, these are, and, and I don't think people think like that. I don't think people look at the long-term version. They just want to look at, you know, I don't want my tax bill to go up, you know? Right, right. So I don't know what the answer is. And then when people have invested and are spending $700,000 on a home be, specifically for the, the schools for their kids to go for the next 12 years, you know, that's a, this is a, this is a fundamental question of what it means to live in America now. And I, I don't know if, if, the, the answer is actually addressing the issue. Am I making sense or? You no, know? you're making sense. But, you know, the, ans- the answer will lie in where we choose to put our priorities. Yeah. Right. And we, this, 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 our government has its priorities in every single area, except part of where it should be directed. That is towards young people as mm-hmm. looking at them as, investments as 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 individuals who are going to be the 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 caretakers and the managers of the future yeah and if you look and and if you look at it nationally there's a reason why in terms of in in terms of science and mathematics Mm america is falling behind almost every single european country has fallen behind all every asian country Mm -hmm. In terms of skills, this does not bode well for us as 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 competitors on the global scale on the global stage. So we have to think not just in terms of you know this notion of um, philosophically, as I'm inclined to think that well, you have a child, that child is your is your procreative responsibility. We do have a system of public education, and once it exists as it does, then we have to think strategically of how best to equip all our young people to be national players yeah. on a global scale and competitors on a global <laughs> scale. And if we continue on the, on the current traje- trajectory, we are going to, de- we're declining. We, we're we, declining. Absolutely. And, and I think so much of it is, is, is if you look at, you know, how education is going, they're teaching to the test. Yeah. So what that creates is this binary thinking, this yes, no, in, out, either, or. It doesn't create this kind of open, multi-perspective way of thinking doesn't create problem solving, you know, and I see it, I witness it all the time. I witness these young kids who are working in some retail place because that's a job they get and they get stumped by the simplest thing. And then they, they, um, they get offended if they're, if they're held to account, you know, cause they're, they're, they're not taught how to, how to overcome failure anymore. You know, it's, yeah. it's, um, it, you know, it, it, it's, we we've lost touch of what, and and I don't know how I don't know how the educational thing came off the rails the way it did. Um, but one thing they, you know, one thing they could do is break up this whole nonsense of teacher certification. When I was educated in Jamaica mm-hmm. and I got a very very top class education, mm-hmm. there was no such thing as teacher certification. All you had to do was have a bachelor's degree in mm-hmm. a subject you were teaching, mm-hmm. a bachelor's in Spanish, a bachelor's in biology. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to be certified. Yeah. So we could put a lot of these unemployed, unemployable PhDs coming out of philosophy, <laughs> of out of literature, yeah. out of all these humanities program, you know, put them into the public high school system. They can't get they, they're doing so poorly on the job market because yeah. the grad because the professional schools, universities mm-hmm. are filled with professors. We don't need any more professors. We are filled to the brim. But graduate schools are producing an overflow of PhDs, put these people to work in the public school system. Uh, there's no reason why a PhD in literature, in philosophy, in history, in political science 
needs certification. I'm a, I'm a seasoned college teacher of 24 years. I didn't go through any training program, any certification program. Mm-hmm. I got a PhD and I got put in the classroom for I was a second year graduate student yeah. and I just taught. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so this whole notion of shackling um, qualified people who could really make a difference uh, in the educational system is one place that we could really, really start. And one of the things that happens when there's certification or becomes a compliance to some standard, right? Exactly. Which then limits the perspective they're bringing. And I, I didn't even think of that, but, you know, I, I, and I'm just hearing this mantra of compliance over and over again, and it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, you know, is, you know, because the whole idea of freedom is to actually challenge compliance, you know, to challenge the idea that is the standard. And, um, and I think that's what part of education is, but yeah. Um, anyway, when we come back, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about Gone with the Wind. And, yeah. Let's talk about the statues Gone with the and Wind. And the statues and Gone with the Wind because, uh, HBO chose to make Gone with the Wind, uh, a bad movie. So, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I've never watched Gone with the Wind from the beginning to the end. Yeah. I read the book and I watched the movie. Yeah. So 30 years ago. Yeah, well, the movie. God, the movie's seventy years old. It's yeah. eighty years old. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill, and this is Into the Gap. And our our guy Randall's playing mellow music today, Jay. There's, I love it. You know, this is my kind of music. Chill music. I know it's very chill. There's no Metallica, none of that ugh, stuff, right? I know. <laughs> oh my God, you just ugh to Metallica. Metallica's awesome, dude. No. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to hear it on a Saturday morning. It's a wake-up call, that's for sure, man. Um, Yeah, so we're going to talk about Gone with the Wind. Well, you know, it's just, it's it's part of cancel culture, which I'm completely against. Um, That is anything that offends us, you know, from R. Kelly, the pedophile, whose music I actually think is fantastic. Yep. And Michael Jackson, and where in some places they won't play his music because he's another pedophile Mm -hmm. and or alleged pedophile. And, um, you know, it's this kind of um, intolerance for anything that offends the sensibilities of, of a vast majority of people yeah. against a perpetrator. Um, I, I think that that is Stalinist, and I think that mm-hmm. is that is intolerable. Um, I think for a number of reasons, Gone with the Wind should never, ever be canceled from our culture. You know, black and white, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of... Um, cultural memorabilia that should be kept alive in order to to to, to let people never forget yeah. what it was like to be a slave, what it was like to live on a slavery, um, to keep cultural memory alive and to show uh, to generations in the present and generations to come part of the historical record of America. Yeah. Uh, for good or for bad, this is part of the history of what America was once and also ostensibly to point to how far we have come. Mm-hmm. I mean, people's cultural memories and, and historical conscience uh, are both so short-lived that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, students in my class quite often don't even know, and my courses don't even know what Jim Crow is. They hear it in yeah. theory, but they need to remember and we need to keep the cultural memories alive in this country when, at a time when it's receding at an unprecedented rate. Yeah. 
So I, I think this is just part of cancel culture, which is which is a phenomenon that is is accelerating at a very very frightening speed, which is which is a form of censorship. Yeah, Jay. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I was born in the Jim Crow South, and my mom is from the South. She was born in Florence, Alabama. Grew up in uh, around really rural area, but around Waynesboro, Tennessee, which is east of Nashville by thirty or forty miles. It's up in the hills. It's very rural, very country, you know, dirt roads, outdoor plumbing is where, is how my mom grew up, you know. And so as a young kid, we would go down there. Like, this is pre-60. This is even, I remember before my, my brother was born, you know. And, and I was real little, but I remember, I remember the, the whites-only bathrooms, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't know what it meant. And I remember the colored section in the diner. I'll, I'll never forget this. We went in. We went to this diner, and uh, I remember my dad got a barbecue pork sandwich. I don't know why I remember this. And I'm sitting there across from him, and I remember the barbecue sauce. And we look across the way, and there was a sign that said colored, you know, colored section, right? Mm-hmm. And black people sat in the back, and we sat in the front. And, I'm, and I just, I didn't say anything, but it just struck me as like really, really odd. Because I, you know, my parents were, were, were cool. They were, my parents were not racist. They were very cool, even though I lived in a segregated town, but all of Chicago was segregated back then, you know? Um, I, I think that was just part of the compliance of it all. But it was just, you know, I remember that. And, and, and for me, you know, like one of my proudest moments as a human was the day that Barack Obama got elected in that, you know, I witnessed this thing and, you know, all of a sudden in my, I, I just, I, I stood there remembering going, this is remarkable. I, I, I was born into the Jim Crow South and here it is 53 years later. And my president now is a black man. I said, that's like, to me, it was America. That's mm-hmm. what, that was the possibility of America. And then what happened is politics entered into it. It didn't quite go as well as I thought it was going to go. And now we're here as a direct reaction to the reaction to Barack Obama and his reaction to the reaction to him. We now have Donald Trump as president, right? And it's this whole reaction, 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 reaction issue. And, you know, we've kind of backslid into a much more divisive state. And... The, the, the hope that I'm holding out is that that's just the way we go. That's just the up and down of it. And we're going to come out of this okay, but it's ugly right now, mm-hmm. and, you know? And, um, and just the fact that you and I can have this conversation is something that couldn't have been done 55, 58 years ago, you know? Right, which is why, you know, we're getting back to the question of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it always leaves me with hope that you can ostensibly look at the past, Mm -hmm. look at where we are. Mm -hmm. You and I are having this conversation of black man and a white man on a radio show, Mm -hmm. um, talking about race and talking about racism as equals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And this is remarkable. So people who think there's no progress that we have not made progress, that we have not um, inherited and that we're not the legacies of Mm -hmm. a better way of life are ludicrous. Well, you know what's um, really interesting too, Jay? When you said that, I didn't think about that because I don't. That's not how I think. But one of us has a PhD, and yeah. one of us drove a bulldo- bulldozer. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> and and I just think that's funny, you know. I, I I didn't drive a bulldozer for a career, but I knew how to fire one up and move it, you know. But I, right. I just think it's funny, you know. And it, 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 and that's the way I see the world. Like I all the all these stereotypes, they don't mean bull to me, you know. I'm like, I, that's not how I see things. So so when I hear this stuff, I. I, I like get, wow. And even when you said as equals for the first, oh, when we're not equal, you've got the PhD and I'm just a guy. And, you know, so there's some deference there, you know, and, and, and I just, and it's not, a, it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with, like, I view the world in a meritocracy, right? And, and it's like what people have earned and what people have worked for and what people, have, you know, strive for. And, and, and I just, I don't see it. I just don't see it that way. So whenever I hear it, like I get irritated. Like it's not but, that, you know. But Mike, a lot of people still. I know. I know. Their lives still are affected by race. No, I understand. I understand. You know what that. I mean? And, oh no, and, no, no. And, and, I'm not denying and, it. I'm just telling you that's, it's yeah. my own subjective reality. You know. Your own subjective reality. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's it, it's fascinating. I hope people listening. I hope this opens something up for them. I hope, I hope they can, whatever they're their position they're locked into if they could just give it up and just try it on for a few minutes and see you can always go back there if you're a hardcore racist if you give it up for 10 minutes you can always go back there you know it's not going anywhere right or if you're a a hardcore you know super progressive liberal if you could just give up that point of view for a little bit and and take a look from a different perspective you can go back there no one's going to take it from you you know that's called critical thinking i believe you know um, but- yeah, and I would say just just ask yourself why deny anyone the freedom and the liberties that you enjoy right now? Do you assume any less of a humanity for the person that you're against or that you're discriminating against? Exactly. Any, right. So if you don't assume any less of a humanity for yourself than you do for the other, yeah. Then and if you don't want any less of a better way of life for the other than you want for yourself, then what is the problem? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's what why that, that's why I see this stuff is so freaking dumb. I mean, I yeah. really do. I think the founders and the First Amendment is foundational to what we're all about, and to to attack that or to reduce it or you know any of that just doesn't. We're missing a point. That's all. Yeah. So, yeah. hey man, we got to go. It's been great again. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you Jay for being here. Thanks Randall. Thanks Tara. Uh, we're leaving with a Grateful Dead song. How awesome is that? See you next week, everyone. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. Bye. It's Into the Gap. Bye-bye.